You're listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract, the official podcast of the Journal of Addiction Medicine. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract is produced for your enjoyment and is focused on the latest journal-published research and science in the field of addiction medicine. Remember to add us to your favorites in iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at ASAMorg and Facebook. Now, let's go beyond the abstract. Welcome to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. I'm your host, Dr. Sean McNeil, and today we are joined by Dr. Itai Danovich. He's the Chair of Psychiatry at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. Um, Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Danovich. We are pleased to have you here, and I would like to start off by asking you to introduce yourself just a bit and to discuss your background in the treatment of addictive disorders. Great. So uh, my name is Itai Danovich. Uh, I am a psychiatrist and addiction psychiatrist. Uh, my role is I serve as chair of the Department of Psychiatry at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, where uh, I run a department that uh, has responsibilities involving clinical services, uh, education, uh, and research. I guess I would say that when I went into medicine, I never would have envisioned myself as uh, either a psychiatrist or somebody who's specializing in addiction. Um, but my earliest experience with addiction was at the San Francisco General Hospital in the early to mid-90s, really before the current opioid epidemic. The San Francisco General Hospital was a, was a hotbed of, uh, of opioid-related problems because the Mission District in San Francisco was an area where there was a lot of IV heroin use. And uh, I worked there as a volunteer during college and had the opportunity to um, clean gurneys, move gurneys around, and, uh, and talk to patients. And many of the patients were there with, with medical complications of their heroin use. And I was just struck by the, uh, the, the combination of the, 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 the dire physical consequences of what they were doing, um, the self-destructiveness, and the incredible humanity um, that they had, um, and the the question of what drove them to continue to use in spite of all their suffering, uh, was uh, was was elusive and and compelling and important and something that stuck with me um, years later when I would decide what I wanted to do. So. Uh, Ultimately, over the course of my training and, and after I decided to do psychiatry, the addiction field continued to be a, a, a field where there was a, a marriage between um, uh, really exciting developments in neuroscience, neurobiology, um, and and really big questions around psychology and society, and the the the, the intermixing of those two and the the, the powerful narratives stories. Um, experiences with people going through personal transformation and, and nav- navigating trajectories into recovery um, was, uh, was, was always incredibly stimulating, you know, gratifying, and, uh, uh, and, and really drove me to want to get further involved into this field. That's great. And it seems to explain your passion for treating addictions. So you have an article uh, coming out in the Journal of Addiction Medicine, um, it's called Opioid Overdose in the Hospital Setting, a Systematic Review. 
Um, I was hoping that you could tell us about your motivation behind the study, uh, as well as what problems you're seeking to address. Well, all of the research that I've gotten into has been a result of problems or questions that I've encountered during my clinical practice. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, my, my clinical practice, um, I, a lot of the work that I do in addiction is in a hospital setting. And it was not uncommon that I would be consulted to see patients in the hospital setting and, and observe that they were incredibly sedated from the opioids that, that they were taking and the other CNS depressants that they were taking, as well as other factors. And, uh, and or there were times where I would go to see a patient for a consultation and, and they'd received Narcan to reverse uh, an episode of, uh, uh, of over-sedation or respiratory depression. And that got me concerned with the question, to what extent are people having problems with opioids um, in hospitals through administration of opioids during hospitalization? Um, opioids are really, really common in hospital settings and, and uh, you know, modern medicine could not be practiced without opioids to some extent. Um, we're in the midst of an opioid crisis, and there's been a ton of attention on inappropriate opioid prescribing and use and misuse in community settings, but there have been very little attention to the inpatient settings where opioids are incredibly common. And, uh, and, and so that's what got me interested in the question of understanding what was going on in the, uh, in the hospital setting. Okay. And uh, your, in your study, you address several other studies, some of which may be underestimating the true rate of opioid overdose. So would you speak to the scope of this problem? Sure. Well, uh, two things. First, in order to answer the question of how common was this problem in hospitals, um, we sought to start out by doing a systematic review and identify studies that had tried to answer the question of what's the rate of opioid overdoses that occur in the hospital setting. And so we went through a search strategy to uh, review the literature and collect studies that address that. And what we found is that there's a variety of, of methodologies for detecting rates. And the, the, the rate that hospitals uh, identified had a lot to do with the type of methodology that they used to identify um, the, the presence of, uh, of opioid overdoses. The three most common methodologies are one, um, ICD codes, so uh, uh, codes for opioid overdoses. Of course, having codes requires somebody to have recognized that there was an opioid overdose, uh, documented it, and for that documentation to to, to ultimately result in a code being entered. Another methodology is to look at administration of the opioid reversal agent, uh, uh, naloxone. And uh, of course, that requires somebody to have had an overdose for that overdose to be recognized and for some response to have been generated, which includes administration of, a, uh, of the naloxone. And, um, and then third, there's a, a methodology called the trigger method, which is the most rigorous standard, which involves collecting 
data on a incident of interest, such as an opioid overdose, from multiple different areas, such as incident reporting, um, ICD coding, um, uh, Narcan administration, um, et cetera. These are triggers to do a review. Um, and then the, the, the incident is reviewed by a uh, professional who makes a determination about whether a uh, event actually occurred. And across the 13 studies that we found, um, the majority of them um, uh, looked at uh, ICD coding. Several looked at uh, uh, administration of Narcan, and uh, only one used the trigger method. Um, and the one that used the trigger method was the one that identified the highest rate of opioid overdoses in the hospital setting. That was a rate of, of two and a half uh, percent. All right. And I feel that your paper did a great job of comparing the merit of several other studies. And uh, next, I was hoping that you could talk a bit about the role that clinicians play in preventing opioid overdose based on your findings. Sure. Well, there's a, uh, a bunch of things that can be done. They range from surveillance to um, uh, uh, preventive measures to early intervention, to improved interventions. Um, I think one way to think about what could be done is to, is to characterize the risk factors that predispose people to have an overdose event, and then to take measures to mitigate those risk factors. So the way I think about risk factors is to group them into patient-specific factors and, uh, and, and provider-specific factors. Patient factors are things like having an impaired airway, um, you know, an anatomic airway obstruction or having risk factors um, for, um, uh, uh, you know, for difficult, you know, intubation or obstructive uh, uh, sleep apnea. Um, impaired ventilation include things such as neuromuscular disease or you know, dependent functional status that make it harder for patients to appropriately ventilate, um, diseases that affect gas exchange, such as cardiopulmonary disease or patients that have a smoking history or at elevated risk, um, and conditions that affect drug metabolism, such as liver disease, renal clearance, et cetera, put people at risk. Also, being naive to opioids puts people at risk when they're exposed to opioids. On the provider side, um, uh, there's a whole bunch of things that providers do, such as the dosage at which they prescribe medications, the combination of medications that are prescribed, for instance, combining opioids with other CNS depressants, such as benzodiazepines, um, are risk factors. and in many hospital systems, it's very hard for physicians to get a, to readily get a sense of how much opioid a person has been exposed to in the last 24 hours, because opioids can be administered in a lot of different routes and, and ways, and the effort to calculate morphine milliequivalencies is uh, uh, sometimes prevents it from happening or happening as frequently as it should. Um, also, we sometimes don't think about things like whether a person had anesthesia in the last 24 hours, which may increase the risk of having um, 
uh, you know, depressant effects when they're exposed to other opioids. Um, also, our decisions about um, surveilling patients, the level of monitoring, the level of care that they're at, and uh, alarm and monitoring systems that can track patients all influence their, their risk of having an event. So I think that one goes through an exercise of identifying all these risk factors um, and then um, really step-by-step step making sure that there are measures in place to address every single risk factor. Well, thank you for joining me today on the podcast and for explaining your findings about opioid overdose, especially in the hospital setting. Um, it was my pleasure to have you on. All right. Well, thank you for the interest and uh, uh, good to speak with you. This ends today's podcast. Thank you for listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. All of today's show links can be found in the show notes. Remember, you can preview additional abstracts at journalofaddictionmedicine.com. This program was produced by the American Society of Addiction Medicine.